0: this is qj martin and you're listening to the write a novel podcast providing you with the tools and instructions that you need to write your novel while many deride avatar for its supposedly generic storyline the fact is that even a decade after its release it has still proved to be a solid presentation of a beloved story archetype. Avatar 2 The Way of Water, on the other hand, fumbles through its plot on multiple occasions. Don't get me wrong, it is a truly fantastic experience that absolutely should not be missed on the big screen. But it's filled with plot holes that are so fundamental in nature that they actively detracted from my enjoyment of the film. So what could have been done to fix these glaring problems and turn Avatar 2 into a masterpiece that's worthy of the legacy of the original in every respect, not just visually? Well, here are my 7 steps for fixing Avatar. Step 1. Spend more time developing Jake's decision to leave the Omatakaya. I know, I know, it's a 3 hour movie, and I'm suggesting to make it longer. The problem is, Jake's decision to abandon his home and his tribe that he fought so hard for in the first movie makes very little sense as depicted. The Na'vi are actively attacking the humans, destroying their infrastructure and stealing their weapons. In the first movie, there were only two acts of violence reported by the Omatakaya before the final confrontation. Both were exclusive to the extended editions of the film, and both were responded to with extreme acts of violence on the part of the humans. So why would Jake have any reason to believe that abandoning his tribe in the middle of a literal war would make them safer? Humans don't tend to forget or forgive. And I can guarantee that humanity, as depicted in this movie, would just as soon drop nukes across the entirety of the Hallelujah Mountains as they would let the Na'vi continue to destroy their stuff. Whether they're able to safely navigate to their camp in helicopters or not shouldn't even be a factor. The fact that the Omaticaya are still breathing in this movie is a matter of convenient scriptwriting, not logic. The movie needs to give a better reason for Jake's rash decision. Yes, Colonel Quaritch shows up with a team of fully integrated NAVI marines. But Jake doesn't know what Quaritch's objective is. The movie itself doesn't even know what his objective is, and I'll have more on that in a moment. For all Jake knows, the second he left his people, Quaritch and his team could have swooped in and slaughtered them all. Having him overhear Quaritch say something like, Now that we have Solly's kids, Solly will surrender, and when Solly surrenders, the rest of the tribe will follow. He's their leader, that's how we take them down. Could have solved this issue. But we can't make that fix without fixing another problem that this movie has. Step 2. Clearly Define Korch's Motivations When Korch was resurrected from the dead, he was told that his assignment was to quell the Na'vi uprisings. Being that he and his team were placed in Na'vi bodies, they could infiltrate the Omotakaya's base of origin without being swarmed and killed by the wildlife of Pandora. A quick side note. This isn't something that I'm going to address in this video, but why does Ewa wait until the humans enter the Hallelujah Mountains to actually do something about them? They're actively destroying the entire planet, but it's only the Omatakaya that she chooses to save with her army of wildlife, I guess? But I digress. Korich's motivation is a much more blatant issue in this case. The entire reason for his creation, for his very existence, is to make it to the Na'vi's hidden camp and end the fighting. But after about five minutes, he somehow switches to hunting down Jake Sully in order to avenge his own murder. Now, I want to be clear about this. I completely understand why he would want to do this. I could even understand him making up an excuse to chase down Jake and his family, or going off mission completely for his revenge plot. The problem is, that's not what happens in the movie. Somehow he switches from stopping the Na'vi to hunting down Sully, and he not only has the full support of his own commanding officer, but she even provides him with considerable resources to do so. Given the trauma of finding out that he's a scientific abomination, the reincarnated ghost of his murdered former self, not to mention a Na'vi, which comes with its own set of prejudices, I can't believe that he and his team are allowed to walk around freely, let alone commandeer an entire whaling ship and her crew in order to settle a personal vendetta. I'm not saying Quaritch wouldn't end up chasing down Jake Sully, but I am saying that he would have come up with a good reason for doing so. Again, a simple line like, once we catch their famed Turok makto, the Na'vi will give up willingly, could have solved this entire issue. Step 3. Have Loak make an actual defense for the space whale, Payakam. Nothing grates on my nerves more than forced conflict. You can always tell when an argument could have been resolved with two simple sentences, but the writer or director doesn't want the issue to end that quickly, so they draw it out, usually for dramatic effect. For example, when Tom interrupts the wedding in Sonic 2, a simple... I gave you the wrong ring, sorry, let's switch them, would have been so much easier and more logical than punching the groom in the face and yanking the ring from his grip. But apparently, they thought that the latter would be funnier. In the case of Avatar 2, there's a very hard-to-watch scene where the leader of the Metcaina, Tonowari, is verbally berating Loak for befriending an outcast Tolkonn. And that is the single hardest sentence I have ever had to record. Instead of defending himself with a simple, actually, I just bonded with him and he showed me that it was the humans who killed his herd, he goes with the far more infuriating strategy of mumbling absolutely nothing worthwhile during the whole argument and then storming out while saying something generic like, I just know it's a good person, okay? What makes this case of manufactured conflict even more egregious is that 30 seconds later, he literally tells the chief's daughter the exact thing he should have said to the chief just moments earlier. She then explains to him that he's still a murderer in the eyes of his people because he chose to attack the humans, regardless of the fact that it was in self-defense. In that way, she showed that the forced conflict that came from having Loak remain so irritatingly silent just moments earlier, didn't actually have to be forced at all. Instead, it could have gone a little something like this. The chief is berating him for befriending the outcast, Payakan. He tells the chief that he bonded with the space whale, and he knows for a fact that it was the humans that killed his herd. The Chief doesn't change his composure. He seems to be completely unaffected by this information, which infuriates Loak, who storms out. Then the Chief's daughter chases him down and explains the reason why Payakan's actions made him an outcast in spite of his good intentions. (laughs) Step 4. Don't repurpose so many moments and lines from the first film. Avatar is iconic. It's the highest grossing film of all time. And even when adjusted for inflation, it still finds itself firmly in second place. You know what that means? A lot of people have seen this movie a lot of times. Having a callback or two to scenes from the first film would have been fine, it would have been great. But it's pretty obvious in my mind that far too many copy and paste moments occurred from the first movie to the second one. For example, when Kiri shouted, They're coming for you!" It completely took me out of the movie, and all I could think of was the scene from the first Avatar film right before Home Tree was destroyed, where Grace said almost the exact same thing in almost the exact same way. And then there's the whole, this is why we're here speech that's recited nearly word for word from the first film. In fact, let's see if you can tell me which movie this quote comes from. This is why we're here, Amrita, because this gooey yellow liquid sells for $80 a vial. That's the only reason. This is what pays for the whole party, and it's what pays for your science. The answer? I took the speech from the first Avatar movie and replaced all the pertinent words with the speech from the second Avatar movie. I would forgive you for not being able to recognize that that was not a word-for-word quote from The Way of Water. And then there were the training scenes between Loak and the chief's daughter, which at times felt identical, beat for beat, to those of Jake and Nitiri from the first movie. What The Way of Water needed to do was create its own great moments, scenes, and lines, rather than rely so heavily on the nostalgia that viewers no doubt have for the original. Step 5. Figure out why the humans are here. The first Avatar film got a lot of flack for its use of the placeholder term unobtainium. While I feel like this was a pretty obvious tongue-in-cheek acknowledgement of its status as a MacGuffin in the film, it seems like Avatar 2 goes out of its way to never use that word again. When the human fleet arrives in the beginning of the film, it stated very plainly that they're not here to mine anymore. They're here to colonize Pandora as a replacement for Earth. But somewhere along the line, it seems like some wires got crossed, because suddenly Amrita, the Tolkun elixir of eternal youth, is made out to be the whole reason why we're here. So why did an entire fleet of ships descend on Pandora? Did the humans return en masse as a retaliatory response to being kicked off of the planet by the Na'vi? Or were they colony ships that just happened to already be on their way? Or were they originally going to continue the mining efforts until it was decided to simply colonize the whole planet instead? And considering that all those factors are already available and or at play in this very movie, why did we end up with yet another magical substance that suddenly stated to be the entire objective of man's presence on Pandora? While we're on that subject, how did they even find out about Amrita when all the efforts of humanity up to that point were focused solely on dry land? Don't get me wrong, the whaling scene in this movie is powerful. It's important. I would not remove it for anything. But we didn't need another magical item for the humans to cultivate. Some great alternatives to Amrita could have been, for example, that they're hunting the tolkun to extinction to feed the massive influx of humans that are arriving on the planet. Or their skin makes great armor for the human's exoskeletons. Or they want to set up a bunch of water refineries and the Tolkoons are simply in the way. Step 6. Don't make Jake so clueless. I understand that Jake is a father now and that, above all else, he wants to end the fighting for the safety of his family. And I understand that Jake might try to convince himself that peace is the best option. But there's one point in the movie where he says something so incredibly naive and just plain wrong that it's painful to watch. On several occasions, he tells the Metcaina people that the only reason the humans are killing Tolkun is in order to draw out Jake Sully and his family. Now obviously, we know that this isn't the truth. We know that humans are slaughtering Tolkun for their amrita elixirs. But the thing is, the Tolkun know it too. That's literally the exact reason why they banished Payakan because he decided to fight back against the humans. And on top of that, the Tolkun travel in herds and communicate directly with the Mekaina. So there's simply no way that the tribe isn't aware of this fact as well. Jake could have argued his case for finding a peaceful resolution to the problems he was facing without sounding so clueless, and especially without basing his entire argument on such an inaccurate statement. Step 7. Give the Mekaina more to do in the climactic battle. It was a very significant moment in the film when the Mekaina decided to join the Sullies in the fight against the humans. But a few minutes after their fairly successful offensive begins, they all completely disappeared and weren't seen again for the entire rest of the climax. For some reason they seem to have decided to leave the Sullies to get shot, drowned, and to die all on their own. You know who could have been really helpful in preventing Netiri or Jake from getting trapped under the ship and running out of oxygen? Members of a species that was born, raised, and even evolved for swimming. Of course, I fully understand why the Metcaina couldn't have been the ones to save the Sullys at the end of their epic showdown. It would have completely ruined the momentum of their character arcs. However, it wouldn't have been that hard to give an explanation for their sudden disappearance from the movie. Maybe the humans managed to send some subs after Payakan in an act of revenge for what he did to their ship and crew. The Metcaina know he's an outcast, but he just helped save all of their lives. So in a moment of fantastic character development, they choose to go off and save him in return. We don't get to see that fight, and we have no idea what the outcome is until Payakan shows up at the end to help Jake rise to the surface before he drowns. As Jake looks up, he sees the Metcaina arriving all around him, and they're able to celebrate the fact that they've both been victorious. I did have a couple more fixes for Avatar The Way of Water, but this just feels like such a fantastic note to end the video on. So now it's your turn. What did you think of the long-awaited sequel to the smash hit Avatar? Let me know on Twitter at QJ underscore author, or go to thewriterseverythingorg slash transcripts and leave a comment on the appropriate post. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Write a Novel Podcast. If you'd like to read a transcript of this episode, you can find it at thewriterseverythingorg slash transcripts. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're currently listening on. And be sure to give it a rating while you're at it to let me know what you think of the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash QJMartin. For your convenience, all the reference links will also be in the show notes.